Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Do you have ears? Yes. Are they little? Yes. Well then, this episode is not for you. Put those with little ears away. This episode explores adult themes, particularly including children and death. Not explicit detail, of course, but as a topic. Not for kids. You have been warned. Autopilot. Have you ever forgotten your phone? When did you realize you'd forgotten it? I'm guessing you didn't just smack your forehead and exclaim, Damn! A propos of nothing! The realization, probably, didn't dawn on you spontaneously. More likely, you reach for your phone, pouring open your pocket or handbag, and were momentarily confused by it not being there. Then you did a mental recap of the morning's events. Shit. In my case, my phone's alarm woke me up as normal, but I realized the battery was lower than I expected. It was a new phone, and it had this annoying habit of leaving applications running that drain the battery overnight. So I put it onto charge while I showered instead of into my bag like normal. It was a momentary slip from the routine, but that was all it took. One shower, my brain got back into the routine. It follows every morning, and that was it. Forgotten. This wasn't just me being clumsy. As I later researched, this is a recognized brain function. Your brain doesn't work just on one level, it works on many. Like when you're walking somewhere, you think about your destination and avoiding hazards. But you don't need to think about keeping your legs moving properly. If you did, the entire world would turn to one massive hilarious quop cosplay. I wasn't thinking about regulating my breathing. I was thinking whether I should grab a coffee on the drive to work. P.S. I did. I wasn't thinking about moving my breakfast through my intestines. I was wondering whether I'd finish on time to pick up my daughter Emily from the nursery after work or get stuck with another late fee. This is the thing. There's a level of your brain that just deals with routine so that the rest of the brain can think about other things. Think about it. Think about your last commute. What do you actually remember? Probably little, if anything. Most common journeys blur into one, and recalling any one in particular is scientifically proven, proven to be difficult. Do something often enough and it becomes routine. Keep doing it, it stops being processed by the thinking bit of the brain and gets relegated to a part of the brain dedicated to dealing with routine. Your brain keeps doing it without you thinking about it. Soon you think about your route to work as much as you do keeping your legs moving when you walk. Most people call it autopilot, but there's danger there. If you have a break in your routine, your ability to remember and account for the break is only as good as your ability to stop your brain going into routine mode. My ability to remember my phone being on the counter is only as reliable as my ability to stop my brain entering morning routine mode. 
which would dictate that my phone is actually in my bag. But I didn't stop my brain entering routine mode. I got in the shower as normal. Routine started. Exception forgotten. Autopilot engaged. My brain was back in the routine. I showered. I shaved. The radio forecasted amazing weather. I gave Emily her breakfast and loaded her into the car. She was so adorable that morning. She complained about the bad sun in the morning blinding her, saying it stopped her having a little sleep on the way to the nursery. And we left. That was the routine. It didn't matter that my phone was on the counter, charging silently. My brain was in the routine, and in the routine, my phone was in my bag. This is why I forgot my phone. Not clumsiness. Not negligence. Nothing more. My brain entering routine mode and overwriting the exception. Autopilot engaged. I left for work. It's a swelteringly hot day already. The bad sun had been burning since before my traitorously absent phone woke me. The steering wheel was burning hot to the touch when I sat down. I think I heard Emily shift over behind my driver's seat to get out of the glare. But I got to work, submitted the report, attended the morning meeting. It's not until I took a quick coffee break and reached for my phone that the illusion shattered. I did a mental re-step. I remembered the dying battery. I remembered putting it onto charge. I remember leaving it there. My phone was on the counter. Autopilot disengaged. Again, there lies the danger. Until you have that moment, the moment you reach for your phone and shatter the illusion, that part of the brain is still in routine mode. It has no reason to question the facts of the routine. That's why it's a routine. The act of repetition. It's not as if anyone could say, why didn't you remember your phone? Didn't it occur to you? How could you forget? You must be negligent. This is to miss the point. My brain was telling me the routine was completed as normal, despite the fact that it wasn't. It wasn't that I forgot my phone. According to my brain, according to the routine, my phone was in my bag. Why would I think to question it? Why would I check? Why would I suddenly remember, out of nowhere, that my phone was on the counter? My brain was wired into the routine, and the routine was that my phone was in my bag. The day continued to bake. The morning haze gave way to the relentless fever heat of the afternoon. Tarmac bubbled. The direct beam of heat threatened to crack the pavement. People swapped coffees for iced smoothies. Jackets discarded. Sleeves rolled up. Ties loosened. Brows mopped. The park slowly filled with sunbathers and barbecues. Window frames threatened to warp. The thermometer continued to swell. Thank fuck. The officers were air-conditioned. But as ever, the furnace of the day gave way to a cooler evening. Another day, another dollar. 
still cursing myself for forgetting my phone. I drove home. The day's heat had baked the inside of the car, releasing a horrible smell from somewhere. When I arrived on the driveway, the stones crunching comfortingly under my tires, my wife greeted me at the door. Where's Emily? Fuck. As if the phone wasn't bad enough after everything I left Emily at the fucking nursery after all. I immediately sped back to the nursery. I got to the door and started practicing my excuses, wondering vainly if I could charm my way out of a late fee. I saw a piece of paper stuck to the door. Due to vandalism overnight, please use side door. Today only. Overnight? What? The door was fine this morning. I froze. My knees shook. Vandals. A change in the routine. My phone was on the counter. I hadn't been here this morning. My phone was on the counter. I'd driven past because I was drinking my coffee. I'd not dropped off Emily. My phone was on the counter. She'd moved her seat. I hadn't seen her in the mirror. My phone was on the counter. She'd fallen asleep out of the bad sun. She didn't speak when I drove past her nursery. My phone was on the counter. She'd changed the routine. My phone was on the counter. She'd changed the routine, and I'd forgotten to drop her off. My phone was on the counter. Nine hours, that car, that baking sun, no air, no water, no power, no help, that heat, a steering wheel too hot to touch, that smell. I walked to the car door, numb, shocked. I opened the door, my phone was on the counter, and my daughter was dead. Autopilot disengaged. All story credit goes to ScarJo. The title of this story is Autopilot. The Old Bridge in the Park. The children in the town of Redacted knew better than to cross the old bridge in the park especially during the evening hours on foggy nights. Even the grown-ups stayed clear, knowing those who dared venture out were doomed never to be seen again. And everyone knows grown-ups are usually pretty naive when it comes to such matters. They had even made an effort to stop people from crossing the bridge by making a gate that closed every day an hour before sundown, to block access to the park. The grown-ups seemed so proud of themselves for protecting the little ones, and so the children didn't have the heart to tell them that it was a waste of money, better spent buying birthday and Christmas presents. Everyone knew better than to cross that bridge, so there was no reason for a gate at all. Unfortunately, Eleanor was nobody, and even if she was somebody, she was a very stupid little girl, born and raised in the town over... Little Eleanor had only recently moved to Redacted, when her parents divorced and her father and new stepmother got full custody of her. Though she fancied the idea that she was just too clever to get along with the other children, 
The opposite was, in fact, true. She was nearly as ignorant as a grown-up, constantly questioning things and demanding evidence for every trivial truth. Some of the harsher rumours claimed that she didn't believe in ghosts, aliens, or even the completely inarguable fact that the fourth-grade homeroom teacher, Mr. Mason, was a werewolf demon hybrid from Heck who worked for the devil himself. Thus, Eleanor had rightfully replaced paste-eating Patty as the village idiot in redacted elementary school. Even so, Eleanor was very prideful. No matter how much the other children chastised her for saying silly things like, there's no such thing as a baby-biting sewer clowns, she persisted. It wasn't long before everyone started avoiding her, fearing that her blatant disrespect of the supernatural made her dangerous and unlucky. At first, Eleanor didn't seem to mind too much, as her vanity deluded her into thinking she was better off alone anyway, since apparently she was just so much more intelligent than all the other children anyway. Still, even nobodies get lonely, and so when she heard the other children discussing the matter of the old bridge in the park, she couldn't help but to butt in. Oh, come on! How is a bridge going to eat children? It's just a bunch of stones. The children had heard her say many strange things, but now she had gone too far. Even the grown-ups knew how dangerous the old bridge was. A few of the kinder, more patient ones gave Eleanor a pitiful glance, reminding themselves that she didn't know any better. But while things like Mr. Mason and the sewer clowns were survivable, the old bridge in the park promised at least a bazillion percent chance of never being seen again. Sure, the children hated Eleanor, but they wouldn't wish such a fate upon even the worst of little girls. They begged and pleaded with her to drop the subject as she demanded proof and credible sources of information. Some were valiant enough to promise to invite Eleanor to their birthday parties if she'd only promised never to cross the bridge. But stubborn little Eleanor wouldn't listen to reason or bribery. She swore to them that she'd prove that the old bridge was nothing to fear using a hand-me-down video camera she'd received on her ninth birthday. Tonight, I'm going to cross the old bridge, she said, and then you'll see how foolish you all are. There was no way to stop her from killing herself without putting some effort into trying. Distraught, the sweet and generous children of redacted, decided they'd try and be nice to Eleanor on her last day alive. All except Patty, who wasn't too keen on being the stupidest child in school again, by not stealing the dessert from her lunch and not throwing worms at her during recess, Eleanor didn't appreciate their efforts. That night, Eleanor snuck out of the safety of her home, biked to the park and struggled over the gate. Tonight was particularly foggy, and it took her longer than expected to get to the bridge. Apparently, the gate wasn't the only precaution the grown-ups took. They had also changed the paths around, so that the only way to get to the old bridge was by following the winding deer paths through the marshy woods. It was eerily quiet. No owls hooted, and no crickets chirped. Any reasonable person would have recognized this silence as an omen of horrible tragedy to come. But not a girl who denied even the existence of moon vampires. 
armed only with her reckless self-confidence and a flashlight, Eleanor walked to her own demise. By the time she found the bridge, it was nearly a quarter past ten, widely known in the town of Redacted to be the most sinister of times. Obviously, this was true. Why else would the grown-ups rush them to their rooms and demand they sleep until the sunrise promised their safety? Eleanor either willingly ignored the time or just didn't know its significance as she turned on the camera. Eleanor gave a cheery smile into the camera and said her hellos, almost passing as a normal little girl until going into a smug little rant about how stupid she thought everyone was and that she couldn't wait to see the looks on their faces when she proved to them that she was right. She was so self-satisfied that God himself probably considered striking her down with a lightning bolt for being so prideful, but then decided he was better off not wasting his precious time. She lifted her foot to step onto the bridge, but hesitated. As if just for a second, the ignorance clouding her mind had cleared. It wasn't too late to turn back. If she chickened out now, the other children would surely only make fun of her cowardice for a few weeks, and as a bonus, she'd not suffer what was most likely a horrible death. After an agonizing 12 seconds of thought, Eleanor put her foot down on the stone of the bridge. When she wasn't immediately exploded into confetti or elsewise injured, she let out a whoop of celebration and started bragging incessantly to her camera. Meanwhile, God was probably reconsidering his leniency. As she walked on, she prattled onto the camera and bragged about how clever she was. All in all, it took nearly five minutes of self-righteous babbling before Eleanor realized something was amiss. This is a very long bridge, isn't it? Thinking she had misjudged the width of the river, Eleanor peeked over the railing only to see there was nothing below her. And it's so foggy I can't see a thing. Maybe people have gone missing because they fell off. Despite her efforts to see the river, she couldn't even hear it, no matter how much she tried to clean and pop her ears. The fog made it impossible to find it, but it had been there, right? And so she continued on, every step making her more and more anxious. At this rate, her camera was going to run out of batteries. Any rational person would have turned tail and run screaming like a banshee that had stepped on a Lego. But again, Eleanor hesitated. She checked the time on the watch she'd had borrowed from her stepmother as if it would tick out. Nope, everything is perfectly normal. Do carry on. In Morse code. This must be broken. Surely I've not been walking for a whole 30 minutes. Her panic only rose when she checked to see how long the camera had been recording. Eleanor hadn't pressed the button, and all this time she'd been talking to no one, like a complete maniac. Before she had time to swear aloud, her flashlight had the nerve to flicker. Not only had she forgot to record this experience, she had left her spare batteries at home. Eleanor was in trouble, though she didn't yet realize how much trouble she was in. Even now, she thought the worst that would happen is she'd get lost on the way home without any light to guide her way. Her shoulders slumped, and with a pout, she turned around to head back before her batteries died completely. She felt almost as dumb as she was, wandering to the woods, so underprepared. Cockiness killed the cat, Eleanor supposed. 
Though by killed, she actually meant non-lethally inconvenienced. Maybe she'd try again tomorrow night. It felt like three hours passed, but in reality, it was closer to two and a half. Eleanor, patron saint of not believing anything without proof, ignored the very real evidence of her stepmother's watch telling her it was nearly one in the morning. Unable to control herself anymore, she burst into a sprint and ran as fast as her little legs could carry her, desperate to see the bank of the river. Her flashlight gave out, and so did her confidence. She screamed as loudly as she could and fell into a heap onto the cool stone of the bridge. What was she supposed to do now? Turning back clearly wasn't any good, and seeing as the park was closed, there was no one around to hear her pitiful cries for help. And so Eleanor gave up. Instead of running around screaming, she opted to just sit there and wait for the sun to come up. Surely it'd be a waste of energy to do anything more. Hours passed by. Slower than maple syrup right out of a too-cold fridge, Eleanor did anything she could think of to pass the time. Practice multiplication in her head, figure out what she'd tell her father when he found out she'd been out all night wandering the woods, Anything but acknowledge that maybe she'd never get off this bridge alive. Though instead of fearing monsters, she was still afraid of earthly things like dying of wolves or boredom. To prevent at least one of those things, Eleanor put on her camera, for real this time, and began recording her goodbyes. At the very least, she thought, she could delete it if everything turned out alright. As if on cue, a light in her peripheral vision caught her attention. She quickly turned the camera off and got to her feet. Was it the sun already? No, it wasn't the right colour, and it was too small. Could it be? Hey, help! Help! Like a moth drawn to a bug zapper, Eleanor scrambled to her feet and darted for the light. Help me! Hello? The light, or more accurately, the ancient old lady holding the light, responded, Are you lost, little girl? Eleanor slowed to a quick jog, tears of relief swelling in her eyes. No child in the entire world had ever been more happy to see a weird stranger on a bridge. Yes, oh, thank, oh, thank you, you so much. much. I was I getting worried that I'd never see anyone again. again. She couldn't see that the old woman had no eyes or that her right arm appeared to be made of solid gold. She didn't see the many rows of bristle-like teeth, or the fingers that seemed to have twice as many bones as they should have. If she had, maybe, she'd have stopped herself before running straight into the monster's arms and hugging her close. Please, will you take me home? The monster was taken aback. She'd eaten many children, but this was the first to so quickly give itself up to her. This was very fortunate for Eleanor. If the monster was more focused, she'd have unhinged her jaw and swallowed her whole before Eleanor had the chance to look up and realize she was in mortal danger. With a scream, she threw herself off the monster and back the way she came without even looking back to confirm what she saw was real. Skeptic or not, she was more prepared to face the lonely bridge before facing what seemed to be an actual monster. The old woman regained her wits and let out a cackle before chasing after Eleanor. Don't you want my help? 
anymore. Her feet pitter patted in such a way that it sounded like she had three sets of feet. Eleanor had never been an athletic child and was still plump with baby fat and too many Christmas sweets. But there's something about being terrified half to death that really gets the adrenaline pumping. Slow down, Shanti. It's been too long since I've had a good meal. I can't keep up. Eleanor never listened, but for once, it did her some good. Her lungs burned as she gasped in just enough air to propel her into safety, though she didn't know it. The other children's carefulness was saving her. The monster was weak enough from hunger that she actually stood a chance of surviving. She was panting too hard to hear that the river was babbling below. Her eyes were too clouded with tears for her to see the sun rising and the fog was fading away. The moment the light of morning reached down to the bridge, the monster let out a horrible screech and quickly scurried down into the river. But Eleanor was still running until she was off the bridge and nearly out of the woods. Finally, she slowed to a walk to let her lungs rest. She'd done it. She survived the old bridge. With a start, Eleanor looked at her camera and nearly sobbed with joy. The whole thing had been recorded. There was concrete proof of the horrible monster and her escaping. Heck, she had really only screamed the one time, so she probably looked pretty brave. The other children would be so impressed with her. Her tearful rejoicing settled into a worried frown. If this was true, then what else was? Was Mr. Mason really a demon? Did she really have to worry about sewer clowns and moon vampires and ghosts? Heck, it didn't matter. All that mattered is that she survived. And if she could survive this, she could survive any crazy old thing. Her confidence rose again. No longer was she blind to the world around her. Now she knew better, and she'd use her knowledge for good. Where did that bridge monster come from? Clearly it was weak to sunlight, and could only live in the darkness. Maybe she could destroy it. But she would need help. The other children knew things, but they were too afraid to fight them. It was time for that to change. Things in this town were going to be completely different from now on. Together, they would rid this town of whatever monsters plague it. Eleanor sprinted off the bridge and through the woods, breaking out into the road, leading back home. The truck had seemingly come out of nowhere, flattening Eleanor before she knew what hit her. Literally. And thus the first child to ever survive crossing the bridge died. Not because of the monster that haunted it, but because she was too stupid to look both ways before crossing the street. The Old Bridge in the Park, written by Moist Squelch. A hilarious name. Grocery List You get a phone call from your mother. Since her car has been in the shop, she asks you to go to the grocery store and pick up a few odds and ends for her. Bread, milk, cereal, and chicken breasts. After writing down a small list, you reluctantly get in your car and pick up the items at the store. The lady cashier makes an odd remark to you. You know, we're in no danger of a milk shortage. Upon arriving at her house, you knock several times. No answer. You decide to try the door. 
it opens. You place the grocery bag on the counter. Strange. There seems to be six other grocery bags, each with identical contents. In a couple, the chicken and the milk has gone bad. Mom? You call out, but no answer. You make your way through the kitchen and into the living room. Sitting on the couch with her head cut off and neatly resting on her lap is your mother. Naturally, you call the police who come over to investigate. They mention that she's been dead for nearly a week. Furthermore, the police psychiatrist is at the scene and talks to you after you give your initial statement. Sitting on the front steps, you overhear the psychiatrist talking with the crime scene investigator. It's not uncommon for people suffering from schizophrenia to get locked into a series of repetitive behaviors. He says, You think to yourself, They can't be talking about me. Schizophrenia? No way. Repetitive behavior? Do they think I did this? Suddenly your cell phone goes off. Hello? Hello? Hi, hun. It, it, Could you stop at the store and pick up some chicken, chicken and milk? Oh, and I need some, some... No problem, mum. I'll be right over. This story was written by Anonymous, titled Grocery List. Goodness gracious, that first episode is very, very disturbing. Doubly disturbing because it happens. People forget their kids in their cars all the time. And this should be a reminder that if you do have kids, the responsibility is real. Always know where they are if they're with you, right? Our second tale about the old bridge is a classic. And the golden arm demon is always my favorite. And a story I'll revisit from time to time myself. Rest assured, that guy is going to be on my podcast artwork. I'm going to make him (laughs) and showcase him. And lastly, the groceries tale with the poor soul's mind is putting him on rewind. Just awful. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want to support or can support, visit www.patreon.com forward slash SFGT. As I don't run ads and never will, your kind donations go a long way to supporting the show and buying me more tea to drink. It's that simple. Right now, I'm enjoying some delicious magic flute tea by TWG. Sort of fruity and light, extremely calming as well. And with your support, I can buy all kinds of different and wacky tea. Plus really cool gear. So thank you for considering it if you are. And speaking of support, I want to thank the legends that really lift this show to new heights. First up is my god tier supporter, Matto Star, my old night tea titan. Thank you, you superstar Matto. With your support, I'm able to buy some additional add-ons to my existing mic that's hopefully going to cut back on the pops and clicks like no one's business. And thanks to you, I'm able to actually afford these add-ons. Microphone pop shields are very handy, and this particular one slips on like a little sock. It's still on its way, but I cannot wait to get it. Thank you for making things like this affordable. You are a legend, my friend. Cheers, Matto Star. And my white to you, Warlord, Leza the Impressor, waving the flag of awesomeness high into the sky. Thank you, you superstar. 
for having my back with your constant support. I purchased some new squelching sounds and some walking on wood and grass sounds. I'll be putting these to good use shortly, I assure you. Thank you, man, for being so damn awesome. You are truly amazing, my friend. Thanks. Also, I want to thank my Ogre Enforcers and Patreon supporters. I am lucky to have Chad Warren, Just Heather, Sunshine Days, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffaelli, Michelangelo Yacone, Divided by Zero, Leah Fassig, Alia Arcane, Paige Kramer, and Jane Gumnick. Thank you, you epically kind people. Really, thank you. Now, pour your tea, make it nice, ensure your flavouring is precise. Like a story, let it flow. Let the fables and tales take you home. It's these stories that bring us together, and old audio that reminds us of how we've changed. Stay a while, have a listen, and as always, I hope to see you again. Have a wonderfully fantastic week, and stay safe. See you next Monday.